I think it's no coincidence that the day after we have a memorial for a really amazing man, Russ Nagel, that we have Father's Day. Because he was a great father. And uh, I could learn a lot of things from Russ Nagel, how he acted. You know, some of us are fathers and we think, man, we're a failure. I know sometimes I feel that way. But you know what? God does not call us to be successful. He calls us to be faithful. And so it's never too late to be a good father. So, just thought I'd bring that up to you. Because this week we read 1 Corinthians chapters 1 through chapters 6. And in fact, as wait, you didn't read it? What is wrong with you? Do you not have a book? If you have not, get on it. Because we are reading 1 Corinthians together as a church, as all the epistles. I don't even know where the front is. There you go. should be out there in the um, information desk. If you haven't got it, get it. If you say, I don't want a book. Okay, fine. We've got bookmarks. And we've got PDFs. So there's no excuse. Get on it, read it on a daily basis, and then we have little videos on YouTube that get to see our ugly mugs on a daily basis as we read the scriptures and talk to you a little bit about it. So, if you did read 1 Corinthians 1 through 6, there is an overarching theme, I think. Now, I think John did a great job in getting us ready and launching us into the epistles. Epistles are letters. These are groups of letters, sometimes to an individual, sometimes to a church. If it's to an individual, the name of the book is the person it's sent to. If it's to a church, it's named to the name of the church. And so we have 1 Corinthians. The reason why it's 1 Corinthians is because there's two letters to the Corinthian church. Actually, evidence shows that there were at least four Letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. In fact, we don't have the first letter, but he refers to it in our first letter. And then in the second one, Second Corinthians, he refers to another letter that was in between. So we actually have First Corinthians and Second Corinthians is actually the second letter and the fourth letter. Have I confused you completely? Well, let's do more. I've got some maps. Let's do that. All right, so we are going to talk a little bit about the Corinthian, the, the, the city of Corinth, okay? Paul established this church in his second missionary journey. And the letters that are written to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, the third and the, uh, the second and the fourth, were written on his third missionary journey when he's in Ephesus. So, let's look at the first map of where is Corinth. So, here is all of Greece. All, all of this here. You have sort of the mainland Greece. Sometimes this is referred to as Macedonia. And then we have a little portion right here. This is the Peloponnesus. Okay? And there is a little isthmus right here. It's only four miles long. Between these two, the seas here. In fact, 
Most mariners during that time, as they were sailing along routes and stuff, they would go and they would pick up their boats and roll them along the four miles to go from here to here rather than going the 250 miles all the way around here. It was, it was a canal before the Panama Canal was the, was the big deal. Okay, In fact, Nero, during his time, started a canal right here in this four-mile spot to eventually have the ships go through. Never got completed. Did not get completed until the 19th century. As men and go. But anyway, why am I telling you all this? Because right at the edge of this isthmus, this four-mile thing, is a town that controlled who went through, who went around. In the B.C. area, we have Athens here, we have Sparta here. The Peloponnesian War, it all came through here. Athens sometimes used the naval. Spartan was the military. They went this way. And so this was a very important section. And during Jesus' time and in the first century... This became a super important route. A very wealthy city. The trouble is, it became a very decadent. And so, during the first century, if you were known as Corinthian, that was not a good term. It was a derogatory term. That you were sexually immoral and you were a drunkard. So... Let's go to the next map. And this is a highlight way down here. So you have this isthmus here. Corinth is right here. This is actually the ancient area right there. The modern Corinth, which is not having that name, is up here. But right here, it's the highest place. So it could be defended militarily. And it became very wealthy. It was a trade city. So you've got people traveling this way and this way. You have people, boats traveling this way and this way. This is the area, so it was a very cosmopolitan city. One of the first cities that the Romans took when they began to move eastward through Greece. This became very important and became the hot spot. And so when Paul comes, he establishes a church there. And he calls himself their father, their spiritual father. And so as he writes to the church, he becomes aware of many things that they are doing that he's not very happy with. So this is a letter of encouragement, exhortation, but it's also a letter that's strong and telling you there needs to be some correction, there needs to be some changes. Okay? If you don't have a spiritual father, and if you have a if you don't have a father around Sometimes you need a spiritual father. Paul is this way to Timothy. Paul is this way to Titus. You know, I, I, I've got to stop this. And I've, I've had some amazing spiritual fathers. I lost my father when I was 21. And so I had some other fathers step up and were absolutely instrumental in my spiritual formation. Pastor Don is one of them. I consider him a spiritual father. Mike Hatchell is like a spiritual father to me. Gordon McKean is like a spiritual father to me. There have been guys that have stepped up and have led me along. And, and this is the vein in which Paul is writing to the Corinthians. He wants 
so much for this church. And so, from if you look at 1 Corinthians 1 through 6, there is an overarching theme in which Paul is talking. And I would like to read that overarching theme to you. It's 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 3. He says, Brothers, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Now, if you look at the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul identifies in the church, in my humble estimation, at least eight areas where they are immature. And so I'm going to give you the eight, and then I'm going to give you the evidence found in the scriptures of those eight things. Now, there could be more. In fact, there could probably be 10 to 12. That makes for a super long sermon. So I'm going to give you eight. And we're going, to, we're going to nail you fathers to the wall and the rest of you because this is a sign of immaturity in your faith that you need to be aware of. All right, here they are. Number one, divisions and cliques. Number two, earthly wisdom, not spiritual wisdom, namely the lack of knowledge of God's word. Number three, lack of a, an eternal focus. Number four, care for your physical body. Yes, I said that. Number five, pride and arrogance. Number six, sexual immorality. Seven, hypocritical living. And number eight, bringing disputes between brothers of Christian community before unbelievers. And I'll show you what that looks like in our day and age. All right? So, number one, divisions and cliques. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 18. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Paul rhetorically asks this question. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to, you, but to us who are being saved it is the power to God. All right, here it is. There were divisions in my Humble experience of being a leader and a pastor for the last 20 years. We have a tendency 
to divide rather than be united. We tend to follow men and not follow Christ. When Jeremy and I first started this this gig together and we were dual pastors, a lot of people wanted to put themselves under one of us and exclude the other. And we resisted it. And this is the verse with which we demanded that you follow Christ and not follow a man. This is where we fall into trouble. When we start thinking, we're all that, you need to follow me. If I could be an example to you in following Christ, so be it. And that's very Pauline. But you need to follow Christ and quit making divisions. We have a tendency to divide. We have a tendency to take sides. We have a tendency to pick fights with people because we don't agree with everything about them. Stop, is what Paul said. Number two, earthly wisdom, not spiritual wisdom. 1 Corinthians 2, 6-10 says this, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not be crucified They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived. By the way, that's found in Isaiah 64. The things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Now, one of the things you need to know is he's talking about the Old Testament. He's brings in the Old Testament scriptures, and there's no New Testament yet. When He's writing the New Testament as we speak. But now we have the New Testament. And so if you want to know what kind of knowledge is important to God, spiritual knowledge is more important. All right? We have a lot of people walking around in this congregation, in this church, in this community, who think they're the smartest people in the world because they have a few degrees on behind their name. And they don't mean much to God. We need to have knowledge of the scriptures. We have, need to have knowledge of what God has for us. And how that happens is the spirit indwelling us and teaching us. Paul t- goes on at length talking about, hey, it's the spirit that gives you the knowledge that you need to help to change all right. Number three, lack of an eternal focus. This is found in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, verses 10 through 14. By the time, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wide builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, and their work will be shown by what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. What Paul is saying is, okay, 
do, do you think you've got any idea of what you're doing? As you build, do you want to build something that is temporal, that will not survive for eternity? Or do you want to build on something that is eternal, something that will last? Because he says, there's going to be a fire that's going to go through, and the stuff that survives will be a reward. And he's talking about temporal as opposed to um, eternal. Listen, it doesn't matter what your portfolio is. Because you know what? Solomon says it's all going to go to someone else anyway. But if you can build up and you can start bringing people and pointing them to Jesus and and you've changed their eternal destiny from being someone who is going to be destined for hell but now is going to be in the community of believers for eternity, that is a huge thing and that is something that will last. Okay? So some of those things, guys, fathers... You're worried about your children getting a great education, but they don't know Jesus. I speak from personal experience. I was worrying about the temporal and not about the eternal. I don't care what my sons do for a job. I want them to love Jesus. That's the eternal thing. In my humble experience, as a father, as a pastor, 90% of the disagreements that are found in the church today are based on temporal things and not on eternal. Stop, says Paul. (laughs) Number four. Care for your physical body. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Guys, oftentimes... When I preach, and I'm maybe a little bit passionate at times, most of the time when I'm passionate, it's because I'm speaking to myself. And I'm harder on myself than I'm harder on you. So if I get a little passionate, I get a little fired up, it's because I'm talking to myself. Because 1 Corinthians (coughs) punching me in the face. And it's true, and I need to be aware of it. And I need to be convicted. We are God's temple. Sometimes I don't do what I should for my body. Now, the last few years, I have tried to start a better exercise program, tried to eat, start eating right. Okay? Some of you are doing things to your body that you should not do. Because, not because it's your own. It's because it's God's body and it's God's temple and you need to do the best that you can. If you want to see, am I mature in my faith? Well, let me ask you a question, Mark. Are you smoking? Are you drinking? Are those the things that that you have to get up and move around and do things in the morning? Or is it, or even coffee for that matter, is it, I can't believe I just said that. Anyway. (laughs) But it's true. We need to take care of our bodies. 
Not because it's our own, but because we need to know that Christ lives inside of you. That means he makes your body a temple. So, Mark, step away from the second cheeseburger for crying out loud. The super extra big bat of M&M's peanuts. Just get the shareable ones. Says Paul. <laughs> Number five. Pride and arrogance. Where am I at? What time am I doing? I have a watch. Okay. We're doing good. Pride and arrogance. 1 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in becoming a follower of one of us, a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Guys, we need to be humble. If you are truly a mature follower of Jesus Christ, you need to be humble. Jeremy and I have to fight this all the time because we get this little thing, oh, well, we know the Bible, blah, blah, blah. Stop, says Paul, because we need to be humble in what we do. Yes, we need to, we need to speak truth. We need to have grace and truth. Just like Jesus was known for, grace and truth. If I know the scripture and you're not doing it right, I don't want to beat you over the head, but I do need to speak the truth to you. We need to encourage. We need to be gentle. Galatians 6 talks about this, where you need to correct a brother, but you need to be gentle in it. We're so quick to pound people over the head rather than... So either we do what we either pound them over the head and people get offended and upset and hurt, or we don't say anything and we let... Amazingly bad things keep occurring in church because we're all about grace. We need to have both. And that starts with being humble and being able to, and not being arrogant. Got it? All right. Number six, sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 4. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out your fellowship, the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Listen to what Paul is saying. There is sexual immorality. Guys, our society is sick sexually in so many ways. Ways, 
We are, they are trying to jam down our throats. All kinds of sexual perversions. Okay? Let me tell you what a sexual perversion is. Anything that is contrary to one man, one woman, married and having sexual relationship then. Everything else, everything else is sexual immorality. Okay, so what Satan has done here is that he has used a gift that God has given a husband and a wife. And he has made us go astray. And now people are telling us, you speak against that, then you're violating my rights. No, no. You have no rights to sexual morality. You don't. You have the right to be wrong, too. Right? So, we need... Did you hear the way Paul is talking? Kick them out! But it's not kick them out to keep them out. It's to kick them out to restore them... So they can see what is going on wrong. So that they can be saved in the end. When we are tough on people, it may be for the very reason. Because we want you to be saved. Because later on Paul says, the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. I could preach that right now on YouTube. And you know what? They could say, you're done. Because I speak, because you're just reading scripture. So, we need to know that, am I being immature in my life? Well, do you have any sexual immorality? I mean, by the way, looking at porn is sexual immorality. It's not just a little test the water, test the, no, 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 no. If Jesus makes this clear. If you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Again, that is sexual immorality. Stop! Says Mark. <laughs> and Paul. All right. Number, number seven, hypocr- hypocritical living. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard, a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. Guys, Gals, but really, guys, if you claim to be a Christian, if you say, I, I'm a follower of Jesus, there are some expectations of you. And that's to obey Christ. And that's to, you can't say, Oh, I'm a Christian, but then you're sleeping around on your wife, you're getting drunk on the weekends, you're Cheating on your taxes. You know why? Because you bear the name of Christ. And there's some expectations of you. Man, this hits me on the head. Dang. I'm a pastor. And you know what? I'm still a dork times. I do things I shouldn't do. 
So, we need to stop living the hypocritical life. If there are some things that you're convicted of, you need to bring them before God, bring them before your wife. Stop! Says Paul. Says me. And number eight, bringing disputes between brothers of Christian community before unbelievers. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you know that we will judge angels? How much more the the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes of any such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose life, whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. Listen. Because we are a body and because we are together and we're getting invested in people's lives, there is going to be disputes. It's not a question. It's going to be disputes. So how do you handle disputes? Are you bringing it before people that you consider wise in the faith to be able to help you mediate between one or another in having disputes? No. Generally, you don't. Generally, what you do is you just leave and go to another church. That's what happens. To our shame. Honestly. Because you know what? I know it's hard to believe. But in the 36 years, by the way, we just had an anniversary this week. 36 years of anniversary, Barb and I have had a few disputes. I know it's hard for you to believe. But you know what? Every time we let God's word, we let other people help us, guide us as we bring about mediation and talking, and getting, when we're done, we are stronger. We are better. And we've had enough disputes. Man, Barb and I are rock solid now. We are. Because we've been through some stuff, but we've chose not to break up. We're in this thing for, the, for all of our life. If you decide to decide that you're going to end it for life, then you'll do what it takes to reconcile and be together. And that's not just for husband and wife. It's for the body of Christ. There are other ways. You know, are we suing other people and putting it in a, in a court of law? Maybe we don't tend to do that too much. I'm sure it's possible. But here's what we do do. We place it before the court of Facebook or Twitter. And we throw our brothers and sisters to the wolves on a platform that neither acknowledges or even considers the faith of a Christian. You know, you can post up on Facebook and you will be censored. Did you know that? You know how I know that? Because <laughs> it's happening all the time to me. And what the heck? Stop. 
Jesus said it this way. If you have a problem with somebody, go to them. And if you can't work it out, let followers, lovers of Jesus Christ help you to mediate and get through this tough things. Nothing. See what Paul calls it? Trivial stuff. Because in the whole grand scheme of things, any dispute that we have among believers is really just trivial. Again, thinking for eternal rather than temporal. What do you think? Are we immature? You better believe it. I hope. I, I beyond hope that you in some way have been convicted by what I've shared today. Because I am. Because we all have blind spots of immaturity. And the word of God helps us to be convicted, to repent, and to step forward. And guess what? Mature in our faith. We have something in our hallway, in our foyer, in our foyer, not our foyer, that you see. He's just immature. So... Yes, I went there. I'm almost done. Good, I'll get everybody fired up. All right. In the foyer, we have a, a sign out there with a bunch of circles. And we have an arrow. We want, the elders and the pastors want you to become more mature and to grow in your faith. If you are still getting annoyed by little small things in your life that you, the same way 20 years previously... You're not maturing, says Paul. And me, I'll tell you, I'll I'll stand up and, you're being immature. Stop. Start growing in your faith so that these next few years, you can grow more in your faith. You can be a better father, husband, employee, whatever it takes. You can be shaped and changed by this word of God. So that every time we read the Bible, we need to be changed. We need to be moving forward. So I hope you're convicted. I hope you step away from the extra cheeseburger on Father's Day. Sorry. Make you feel guilty. Stand up. Fathers, I love you. I really do. Heights community, I love you. But I I sometimes, like Paul, I get... Oh, I want more for you than you want for yourselves. And so I, I agree with this letter that Paul's writing. We want you to grow and mature in your faith so that you can change this world and you can affect the destiny of people who don't know Jesus yet. Father God, thank you and praise you for who you are. Thank you for the example of Russ Nagel. Thank you for the example of so many strong Christian fathers that I've had in my life. Lord, help us to be that example to others. As we grow and rub shoulders with one another in community. Help us to not be like the Corinthian church. Help us be like another church that is totally sold out for you. That loves you and is growing continually. In the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.